All right, if you have a Bible, you can open up to uh, Matthew chapter 5, continuing our way through the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so far, as we've been making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, I I think uh, Jesus has been an equal opportunity offender to all of us to step on our toes and uh, crush us with the weight of the law, uh, showing us uh, ways where where we don't quite uh, measure up. Uh, but at the same time, I think we've also uh, graciously tried to apply the gospel uh, to all of this, showing us that there's redemption uh, and showing us that, that Christ has done for us things that we could and would never do uh, for ourselves. Today we're going to be uh, looking at verses 38 to 42, the section on retaliation. And so if your toes haven't been stepped on up to this point, um, Jesus is going to come against kind of our, our American Western ideal uh, in this section. Uh, and and there's sure to be some feathers uh, ruffled in this. But let's just uh, dive into the text and read it. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. You have heard it said that it's an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. So Jesus, as his pattern in the Sermon on the Mount starts off by saying, you have heard it said. And what Jesus is doing is referencing the status quo. Matter of fact, uh, Leviticus chapter 24, verses 17 to 22, uh, the Levitical law says this. It says, whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good life for life. If anyone injures his neighbor as he is done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, and whoever kills a person shall be put to death. You shall have the same rule for the sojourner and for the native, for I am the Lord your God. And so God established way back in the Old Testament this idea right, of eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And so this idea of restitution was built into the law. As I was thinking about this, I, I recalled from my childhood, I used to have a neighbor, Sean Barter. Sean Barter. We, we used to play Hot Wheels cars, right? We were little. We used to play Hot Wheels cars, and we had a dirt track at my house, and we had a dirt track at his house, and uh, we had you know kind of these cool cases that we would transport our Hot Wheels cars across the street in. And, and uh, Sean and I, before the term was coined, we were frenemies. And so friends, enemies, frenemies, right? So we, we were frenemies before that was a real term. And what would happen is I would go over to Sean's house and we would play Hot Wheels cars and uh, I would come back home and I would open up my case and I would notice I was short a few cars. And so the next day, you know, Sean would come over to my house and we would play Hot Wheels cars and I would notice my cars in his pile. And so I would take my cars back. This just went on and we just, we kind of lived at peace with each other that way. And this was the way it was going. And pretty soon I realized like, okay, if I don't do something, he, this is just going to, there's no end to this, right? He's going to steal my cars. I'm going to take my cars back. And so what I started to do is I, even as a little kid, had this idea in my mind, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Okay. He's going to take my cars. I'm going to take his cars, right? I'm going to take his cars. And then I'm going to show him that I took his cars, that I know what he was up to. And that I took his cars. And so I would take some of his cars little by little, but uh, he, he was oblivious to it. And I just kept taking his cars. Pretty soon I had a whole bunch of his cars. And he realized that one day that I had a whole bunch of his cars. 
And I was really proud to tell him, well, I know what you've been doing. And so here's what I've been doing, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? As a little kid, even like I figured this out. This is the way that we keep peace in society. You do to me and I'm going to do to you. Like this idea of retaliation. As a matter of fact, as I got older, um, I started to think about this even, even in greater terms. And uh, when, I, when I was a young youth pastor, uh, I used to teach a class to kids, TP 101. If you don't know what that is, we, when, when there wasn't a toilet paper shortage, right, we would actually roll houses or roll cars in toilet paper, just throw it everywhere, right? We would do that. And I taught this class, and I realized I'm teaching these kids things that, like, they're going to come at me one day with this. I'm teaching them how to do something that ultimately is not going to be for my good. And so one day somebody TP'd my car and I was super offended by this. And so what I did is I figured out who did it. See, I I used to, when I would TP cars, I used to take business cards of other youth pastors I knew I had to stash on hand and I would crumple them up and like throw it in the driveway or something as if it fell out of a pocket to throw people off my scent. Right. That was one of my secrets. I didn't teach anybody that secret. (laughs) And so (laughs) <laughs> so one, so one day somebody come, came at me right? they TP'd my car and so I decided I needed to retaliate but I wasn't, I wasn't going to do just an eye for an eye we're, we're talking two eyes for an eye here because I needed to put an end to this so they wouldn't come at me again and so in the middle of the night I had a, had a friend who was a janitor and so I actually bought from him a case of toilet paper it was 96 rolls uh, and we went to the person's house who was responsible for TPing my car with just a few rolls right and in the middle of the night, wee hours of the morning, you know, I thought at one, two o'clock in the morning when everybody's asleep. And before I rolled his car in the 96 rolls, um, I filled it with beanbag filler, like these little, little pebble. I'm just top open, you know, broke into the car, fill it to the top, uh, saran wrapped it, uh, put a big red ribbon on it, rolled it in 96 rolls of toilet paper. And nobody came after me after that, <laughs> right? My retaliation did what it was supposed to do, right? It, it stopped it from happening. These kinds of things resonate with our American Western sensibilities, right? Uh, they, they resonate with us. Um, I've seen a graphic, as a matter of fact, pop up in my social media feed pretty frequently. I'm not sure why I see it so often, but pretty much daily, I see this graphic pop up that says something to the effect of obey God and defy tyrants. And there's part of me that when I read that, I just want to say, yeah, right? That's, that's what being American is about. Uh, obey God, defy tyranny. This is popular Christian thinking. But what Jesus says next, like he, he says, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and that resonates with us. But what he, what he says next turns this sort of thinking completely upside down. He says, you've heard it said it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. This is where the Bible starts to step on our toes uh, in this section. Why would we not resist evil? If there's anything that should be resisted, it should be evil, right? And if there's anyone who should resist evil, it should be us righteous Christians, right? But Jesus says, do not resist the one who is evil. And then he gives us four examples of what he's talking about. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him other the, also, turn to him other, the other one also. What he has in mind here, being slapped on the right cheek, uh, without getting into a whole lot of detail, that like this is not just a little you know, love pat on the cheek. This is like a backhanded slap with some oomph behind it. Like someone's coming at you real good. Another thing I remember from my, my days in middle school, I was only in one fight my whole life, and it was in middle school. And this kid comes up to me for seemingly no reason and just punches me in the face. I don't know why, maybe I had it coming. 
Um, I punched him back, and then we got caught. Right? Teacher grabbed us and took us to the principal's office. And this was back in the day when like, the principal could give you swats. Um, and we get to the principal's office, and the principal looks at us and said, did you get a punch in? Yeah. Did you get a punch in? Yeah. Are you guys good? Yeah. It's like, don't do it again. And he sent us out. Right? Eye for eye. We were good. Jesus tells us here, if someone does that to you, don't resist them. Let them hit you on the other cheek. And that, that just sounds like, this is where I start to think about, like, like, what does he really mean here? Is this really what Jesus is saying? He gives us another example. If someone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And the idea here is if someone's taking you to court, if someone's engaging you in a legal proceeding, he's saying that not only should you give them what they want, give them more. Give them more than what they're coming after. He says, if anyone forces you in the third example to go a mile with them, go two miles. And these three, these first three have to do with the escalation of conflict. Basically, Jesus is saying, don't escalate the conflict, whatever it is. And he gives no qualifiers about whose fault the conflict is or how it originated. He doesn't really give any any qualifiers to it at all. He's just telling us, don't escalate. And then this fourth example, he says to give to the one who begs from you and don't refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, for any of you that have gone into town recently, it's, it's not an uncommon thing to see beggars on the street, right? People holding up signs, asking for help or money or, or whatever. And, and, and we all have feelings when we drive by and we see those things, right? Thoughts come to our mind, and, and um, you know, some, some of you might be generous. You might pull over and give a couple of bucks or, or whatever, but, but we all have thoughts about these. And again, Jesus doesn't give any qualifiers. He just says to give to the one who begs from you. Both John and James in their epistles tell us it's disingenuous as a Christian when you have the ability to meet a need and you see somebody in need and your response is, be warm and be filled. In other words, if your response is, well, I'll pray for you, brother, and you don't take any efforts to meet the needs that you can meet. Now, I don't think Jesus is telling us here to, to give to every beggar that you see. We, we can't do that. Right? None of us have unlimited resources. But, but again, without qualification, he's saying to give to the one who begs from you. Do we consider those maybe gospel opportunities in, the, in that moment? I've done nonprofit work for a long, long time you know, in, in my life, and you know. I see those things and I think, well, gosh, if I give somebody, you know, $5, $10, $20, whatever, I start to think about, well, what are they going to do with it? Are they going to go buy drugs? Are they going to buy alcohol? What are they going to do with it? Jesus doesn't give us any, any qualifier here. He's, he just says, be generous to those in need. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And this idea of the one that would borrow from you, uh, the implication is that it's somebody that you know, maybe even a close friend, who would borrow from you. And he says, don't, don't refuse them. And again, no, no qualifiers here about the circumstance or the situation. And so the first three examples, he's talking about conflict, and as, as Christians, it's not our job to escalate the conflict, even in an effort to put it to an end. It's not on us to escalate the conflict. And then in this last example, he's talking about pretty radical generosity. And if you think about what Christians are known for in our society today. Are, are we known for these things in general? I'm not talking about individuals, but just in, as a group, right? Are, are we Christians known for not escalating conflict? 
Not lately, I don't think. Are, are we known for our radical generosity? These should be marks of the church. Now, it's worth noting here, I don't think what Jesus is doing is, I don't think he's doing away with the justice system. But the Bible tells us that God has instituted government for a purpose, for our protection, for our safety, for our good, to enforce the law. I don't think Jesus is saying here, just do away with all of that. I don't think he's saying that at all. I think what he's talking about here is more kind of person-to-person interactions. And what Jesus is saying here, I don't think is ambiguous. I don't think any of us are sitting here after reading this thinking, well, gosh, what's he really getting at? It's, it's not unclear what he's saying here. We, we can read this and we can understand it. We don't have to necessarily dig into the Greek to figure out what he's really saying. We, we know what he's saying. Our, our struggle is why? Why would he say this? Why would Jesus tell us these things? Why would Jesus say if someone slaps you, let him slap you again? Why would Jesus say if someone takes from you, give them more? If someone forces you to do something, go beyond that. Why would Jesus call us to this radical generosity? And so my analytical brain asks the question, why? Not not necessarily what, because I can understand the what, but why? Another way that we might interpret this in, in more of a modern vernacular, Jesus is saying that you have heard it said, don't tread on me, bro. But I say to you, willingly be tread upon. I don't like that. I don't like the sound of that at all. That that goes against my sensibilities as a person, as, as an American, as, as someone who loves freedom, someone who doesn't want to be told what to do. This rubs up against me, and, and hopefully it's, it's rubbing up against you too. That's what our Bible does to us when we read it. It should rub up against us. And so why would Jesus say these things to us? We, we understand what he's saying, but, but why would he say these things to us? I think the Apostle Paul shines some light on this in Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. The Apostle Paul says this. He says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. We can get on board with that, but then he says, bless those who persecute you. This is where I start to maybe step off the the bus. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We we like the idea of fighting fire with fire. Right? Those goofy stories I told you about when I was a kid. You learned way too much about me today in my childhood. But that was fighting fire with fire. Right? 
eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And with what we just read here from the Apostle Paul and what's going to be in next week's passage, just to give you a little bit of a spoiler, Jesus is going to talk about loving our enemies. I don't think there's any harder command in all of Scripture than the one to love your enemies. There's a lot of hard things in Scripture, but the, the command to love our enemies, that's, that's the hardest in my book anyway. If it's not the hardest in your book, you're, you're a far better person than I am. The Apostle Paul in this Romans 12 passage shows us what it looks like for the Christian to engage culture in a way that's completely different in the way that culture engages with itself or in a way that the culture would expect. The Apostle Paul reminds us that vengeance belongs to God. And I would just submit the question to you, do you really believe that to be true? I've had to wrestle with this in, in my own life. Like, do you believe that to be true, that, that there's going to come a day when every tear is going to be wiped away? Do we believe that when our Bible says it? Do we believe that there's going to be a day when, when all of the injustices in this life will be accounted for? Do we believe that to be true? Every single person, in the end, is going to face redemption or damnation. One of the, that, Everybody. That's everybody's fate, redemption or damnation. Damnation for those who have not come to faith in Christ, redemption for those that have. And so think of the the worst sinner you know. Think of your enemy. What if God redeems your enemy? What if your enemy one day comes to faith in Christ and God redeems them and God makes all the wrong things in their life right? What if God does for them what he's done for you, then what? Resting and trusting in the fact that vengeance belongs to God, trusting in the fact that ultimately he will have justice is an act of faith on our part as Christians. It's an act of faith. And so when Jesus tells us not to resist the one who is evil, not to escalate conflict, not to exact vengeance, and in saying this, I'm not saying that there's never a time when we have to work the justice system for things. There, there, there are times and places for that. But trusting that, that in the end, God will damn those who have not come to know Him, redeem those who have come to know Him, trusting that, that He will make every wrong thing right, that's an act of faith on our part. And our ability to not retaliate when the world says you ought to retaliate shows the culture something about who Christ is. As we walk in faith, trusting that God will one day have his vengeance. That's why the Apostle Paul can say to feed your enemy when, when he's hungry. Like, be nice to your enemy. Do something for your enemy that your enemy would never do for you. That's why Paul can say this. It's an act of faith as Christians. And so not only do we have the words of the Apostle Paul in this, but but we have the example of Jesus himself. Isaiah 53, verses 7 to 8, tells us that he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. We're told that when Jesus was arrested, our Bible tells us that that he could have at any moment called down legions of angels to come and protect him. 
We see that when Jesus was arrested, Peter immediately drew out his sword and he retaliated against the people that arrested Jesus. And what did Jesus do? No, Peter, not the time. Not the time for this. Jesus was wrongfully arrested, wrongfully convicted, yet didn't make a defense for himself, didn't retaliate against those who who came against him. This was all part of God's plan unfolding, right? The plan of the Father unfolding so that Jesus could die for his enemies. We're told in Romans chapter 5 that at the right time, Christ died for his enemies. He died for those who were against him. He did a thing for his enemies that his enemies would never do for him. And if there was ever anybody in history who had the ability to retaliate, it was Jesus. If there was ever anybody in history that had reason to retaliate, it would have been Jesus. Yet, he didn't. So again, Jesus' words in Matthew 5 about retaliation are not unclear. They're not ambiguous. We know what he's saying. The the words of the Apostle Paul that we read in Romans chapter 12, they're not unclear. It's not unclear when he says vengeance belongs to God. It's not unclear when he says to feed your enemy if he's hungry. It's not unclear when he says live peaceably with everyone as far as it depends upon you. Right? Not ambiguous. Again, we're not trying to understand what Paul is saying either. But I don't know if we fully answered the why question. We, like we've heard the words of Paul, we've seen the example of Jesus, and that's all well and good. But let's, let's try to maybe tie a bow on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. It says, all of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so God's plan is that his message, the message of the gospel, would spread through the world to reconcile people's broken relationships with God through people who formerly had broken relationships with God, but now don't, right? That, that's God's plan. Not, not just a good idea, not, not one plan of many, but the plan, right? That God would make his appeal to broken sinners through broken sinners who have come to faith in Christ. That, that's the plan, the way that God designed it to be. Now in connecting a dot with Jesus' words on not retaliating, How can we spread the message of reconciliation? How can we be reconcilers, ambassadors for Christ if we're obeying God and defying tyrants, right? If if we're eye for eye, tooth for tooth, if we're repaying evil for evil, if we're retaliating, if we're engaging the culture in the same way the culture engages itself, how can we have this message of reconciliation that says God loves you and that Jesus, while you were his enemy, died for you? One of the things that gives power to our message is that our message is completely different than the culture. And the way that we engage with that message is completely different than culture. Right? I think about 
think I've shared this before, a guy that I used to know years and years ago who um, lived a hard, hard life against God and one day you know, just radically converted to Christ. And his life just, I mean, he made a 180 like I've never seen anybody make a 180 in their life before. Just was living this way and, and turned and, and lived completely different. Loved God and was zealous for God. But he would stand on street corners with a sandwich board and a bullhorn and yell at people if they're going to hell. Mean. I'd say horrible things to people, right? That, that, that's, not a, that's not a message necessarily of reconciliation. We have to understand as Christians that we're ambassadors for Christ, that God has, in His infinite wisdom, decided to make His appeal to the world through us, through us broken, flawed people. And so that's why Paul says, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And then he reminds us that it was for our sake that He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. Part of God's plan that that Jesus was wrongly convicted that he was innocent, yet was convicted and died a criminal's death. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so why, why is it that Jesus tells us to not retaliate against the world? Because Jesus didn't retaliate. Jesus didn't defend himself. Jesus didn't do what we would expect of him to do. Right In our society today, if, if somebody like Jesus was convicted wrongly, there would be appeals, right? There would be lawyers. could go on for years and years, the appeal process. But no, Jesus willingly died at the hands of those he created. Don't forget that. Willingly died at the hands of those that he created and didn't retaliate so that those who were his enemies could become followers of Christ, that they put their faith and put their trust in Him. And so hopefully that, that gives us a glimpse in, into the why question. Okay, the, the what, again, is not unclear, but the why. Because the gospel is true, that, that's the why. That's the why. Why we as Christians don't have to retaliate. Why Jesus would tell us these difficult words. Again, I don't, I don't think that Jesus is doing away with the justice system. I think you know, God has instituted that. And, and, and even in all of its imperfections and its flaws, it, it exists because God has allowed it to exist. But as we think about how we interact with, with people on a personal level, you're probably thinking today of, of somebody who you might consider your enemy. You're probably thinking of somebody who has wronged you, somebody who has harmed you, somebody who's done things against you. And I would ask you to consider the words of Jesus here and how they might apply to your circumstance and your situation. And I'm, I know that, that this isn't easy. None of it's easy to think about these words of Jesus and to apply them to our own personal situations. But how would Jesus have you respond to that person that you might be thinking of right now or that situation that you might be thinking of right now? And as we consider how to respond to that, we have to consider how Jesus responded when they came against him. And we have to consider these words from Matthew chapter 5, that you have heard it said, it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth. But I say to you, don't resist the one who is evil. And if he tells us not to resist the one who is evil, how much more should we not resist the one who we might deem as not being evil or not all that evil? 
right? If we're thinking of our, of our enemies, how, how much more would these words apply to people who we don't consider to be our enemies? The way that we interact with, you know, friends and, and family who have hurt us and wronged us, but that we might not consider full-blown enemies. So let us remember today and consider the implications of the truth of the gospel. If the gospel is true, if, if Jesus, while I was his enemy, if he died for me so that I could be reconciled to him, if he did that for me, his enemy, and I can stand here today and say I'm a follower of Christ because of that, if you can stand here today and say you're a follower of Christ because God did that for you, then consider how he might have you act towards your enemies or those people that you have a difficult time with. Consider how you might respond to these difficult circumstances in your own life. And so again, we're free as Christians that we we don't have to retaliate. We don't have to get vengeance or justice in this life because we believe and trust that God will have his vengeance and God will have his justice ultimately. And his justice is far more than anything I can do in the here and the now. Right? His vengeance is far more than anything I can do in the here and the now. And so I would just remind us this morning of the truth of the gospel and call us to a faith in Christ that causes us to engage in culture, in our culture, in our society, to engage with people in a way that's completely countercultural. And, and what you'll find that that's going to do is that culture is going to notice that. Culture's going to notice that, and, and that, that's when the questions come of why do you why do you act this way? Why do you engage in a way that's completely different than me? And so I would ask you just to consider the words of Jesus, consider the truth of the gospel, and consider how these things would apply to situations and circumstances in your own life where, where Christ can be glorified, Christ can be magnified in how you respond to difficulties and difficult people. Father, we're thankful today. Thankful that you love us so much, that you care for us so much, that you, um, in our state of being your enemy, that you would do for us something that we could and would never do for ourselves. God, we're thankful. Thankful that you didn't look at us as enemies to be smited, but you looked at us as people to be loved. And so, God, I would pray for us that you would help us to look at our enemies as people to be loved, not not people to be smited. God, help us to believe the gospel. Help us to walk in faith. Help us to engage uh, people in ways that show them uh, the truth of the gospel. Help us to engage people in ways that would show them uh, who you are, that your love, that your grace, that your mercy uh, would be present in our lives, so much so that, that the way that we live would be a witness to those around us. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.